Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, we've had some really interesting guests on the show over the years, um, and it's really an exciting place for me to get to talk to people that I might not get to otherwise. And I have to say, I haven't been as excited to speak to a guest on the show for a while like I am for today's guest. Um, he's a little bit of a rock star right now in the Orthodox Jewish world, although he's not Jewish himself. Um, but he is probably one of the few people out there that's actually given the Orthodox Jewish community a chance to sort of speak in their own words, shine in their own way, um, and like a little bit of a break. Um, and he's really, you know, from what I've seen from his work, um, he seems like he's sort of this lifelong uh, truth seeker, um, really trying to see people for who they are and not how media makes them to be. Um, he's a video maker. His name is Peter Santanello, um, and he has done a series recently on the Hasidic community in Brooklyn. Um, and he's he's a little bit of a celebrity right now. So, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so I was saying before, in, uh, before we started recording, um, I... The amount of times that your videos are going around that I'm seeing, you know, being shared on WhatsApp. And if you get shared on WhatsApp in the Hasidic community, like, you know, you've made it. Um, and just okay. really like a real pride. But I mean, just to people who haven't heard of uh, Peter's videos now, um, they've, you know, nearly all been viewed, you know, hundreds of thousands of times. How many do you have at this point in the Hasidic community? Probably about 10 or so. Is that the number? Yeah, roughly that, that amount. Yeah. So tell us, how did you, I find your sort of, um, your entry story or your origin story of how you became this video maker to be so inspiring. And as I was reading your bio this morning, um, you know, when I sort of hear or read about things that I consider truth with a capital T, sort of like those universal human truths, I get the sort of like fuzzy feeling inside. I got mm -hmm. that reading about your origin story. So um, if you could share with us, um, like what was your start in, um, being a person that depicts um, people sort of in their own setting as they are, as opposed to the media's, you know, spin on that. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the short story here. I grew up in Vermont and, you know, there's not much exposure to anything in Vermont, sort of a bubble. And I was always curious about the outside world. Uh, so a big switch happened to me about four years ago. I was, long story to this, we don't have time for it, but I was living, I'm living in, I was living in Ukraine. And this opportunity came up where I could live with a family for six weeks. I was actually trying to learn Russian really well. And uh, I thought living with a family could be the best thing. This family spoke Russian. Their apartment was bombed out in the war with, with Russia. So they moved from the front lines basically to a countryside home. And at that time I'm like, well, why don't I just make a documentary series of this experience and throw it up on YouTube mm -hmm. just, just to, I don't know, I'm interested in the human condition, why not? And so I made a six part series living with this family and it was a, it did well on YouTube, it did well in Ukraine and it was a huge eye-opening experience for me. I had another business at the time I was running from abroad and I, but I realized this is the work that really, really grabs me and it's very interesting. And so one experience I had in that, which probably led me to this Hasidic series I grew up Protestant, but not not very religious. I was sort of rebellious and, you know, tried to avoid everything to do with the church. And I always thought of religion being sort of this silly thing. You know, here's a book that, you know, redwood trees in California are older than this book. You know, how can you live by these stories? I lived with this family. And, well, he was a former drug dealer and they ran into all sorts of problems. But I could see how religion, they were they were Protestant also was a huge part in their lives and like how it was such an amazing guide for them. 
And I came out of that experience, that probably being my biggest lesson, like, okay, I get it. Like, I don't have to be a very religious person myself, but I 100% get how religion is important in people's lives and how it can be such a good thing in their lives. So that truly changed my perspective. So fast forward, four years living in Ukraine, was making series, video series all over the world, a lot in the Middle East. And the pandemic brought my wife and I home back to the States. Uh, and then I'm, I'm like, okay, the US has a lot of stories right now, a lot going on here. P Americans really don't know much about America and foreigners yeah. don't know much about America. And so uh, Shlomi reached out to me. Hmm. I guess he was following my content. He said, hey, do you want to get into the Hasidic community? And I said, yeah, wow, that's, that's something that's mysterious to me. All I knew was the uh, Netflix series Unorthodox. Yeah. And, you know, some Hasidic Jews I saw in airports, you know, that, that's all I knew. And, uh, well, he brought me in and then it, 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 the rest is history. Like we got into some very interesting content. So that's my short story, origin story of all this. Amazing. Um, how, I guess you didn't have a very, you know, maybe a very formed opinion about the Hasidic community. I'll just... Just before I ask you, I'll just reveal to you that I was always sure. raised Jewish, but I had a very negative okay. opinion of the Hasidic community. Yeah. I thought they were yes. backwards, extreme. Um, they were bad yes. to their women. I mean, really my view of the Hasidic community was unorthodox. I really thought that that spoke for pretty much everyone. Would you right. say that that's sort of, would you say that media, and I guess I wanna be careful right now because my organization is actually working with people that have experienced the underbelly of the Orthodox and Hasidic mm -hmm. world. So mm -hmm. I don't want to um, invalidate their experiences because there mm -hmm. are issues in the Orthodox community like there are in every community. And right. I do want to acknowledge the fact that there are problems that need to be addressed mm -hmm. um, and we see those up close. At the same time, what I think is so unfair is um, sort of the community being seen only for their problems and having those right. stories repeated again and again. So can you share with me sort of what your ideas about the community were before you got to meet them up close and become friends with them? Yeah, negative like yours, of course. It's always portrayed in a negative light. And uh, I consider myself open-minded, but what does that really mean? I, you know, even with that, I'm like, uh, it's probably not, uh, <laughs> I don't know the words to say, but so cool of a, of a religion when they're that extreme, right? From the outside, mm -hmm. that's how it looked. Uh, but I've learned to judge less and, you know, I think life is growth and you, you know, I've made a, a choice, a conscious choice to do these videos, which actually enable me to experience things that I would, would not experience on my own. So to me, it was, um, yeah, very negative from the outside, but I always love the underdog, right? And the Hasidics mm -hmm. are the underdog for sure. Mm -hmm. Just like the Iranians. Like if mm -hmm. I say Iran anywhere, it's going to be a negative connotation or Saudi Arabia. These are countries that I'm not comparing the two, but I'm comparing that they're all right. underdogs. They're all looked sure. perceived very poorly. And so, of course, there are problems in the community. I'm no expert on the community. I don't claim to be. I'm no scholar in Hasidim. What I like to do is just let people speak. My job is to open them up, make them feel comfortable enough on camera and their job is to speak. And if I can capture that, then I got something. And, you know, that's the Hasidic world has, well, I think there are two parts here. The media is given a terrible label from the outside, the Western media, mainstream media, whatever you want to call it. And then the actual community is very closed off. And for reasons I understand now, after spending time there, uh, one, because they know if they open their mouths, it's going to be twisted in a negative way. 
and two, just by the basic fundamental of the community is, you know, they're, they're, I get the history coming from Europe and I also get the anti-technology, which is very confusing, right? Cause we're, we're online right now. So it, it depends the person you're talking to, the neighborhood sure. you're in, all this sort of yeah. stuff. And there's so many layers to it, you know, from the outside, it's like Hasidim is one thing. Correct. And then you, and then you start digging, you're like, wow, okay. Lubavitch sect, Satmar sect. Okay. They're much different. It's complicated. And by the way, when you come back to the New York area, I would like you to maybe consider also doing the Orthodox group because, you know, yeah. I'm not Hasidic, but I'm Orthodox. And we, I would okay. say that Orthodox that's not Hasidic is probably the most invisible because, you know, when Jews are depicted in Hollywood, you either have the Jerry Seinfeld, Fran Drescher, like, you know, strong New York yep. accent and they like the bagels and the, you know, the bog and yeah. that thing. Or you have the Hasidic Jew who doesn't smile, looks very severe. Um, and it's sort yeah. of this side or that side. And the world that I live in, like my husband and I went to Ivy League colleges, like, you know, okay. like meaning like we're very uh, much involved in the world, but I'm wearing a right. wig right now. Yeah. So meaning like, so, and, and that's sort of this interesting balance that basically we are literally invisible in terms of, you know, sort of being in a time now where there's so much more awareness about mm -hmm. inclusivity. Like we talk right. about, like, we want people to be seen and heard and you can't beat if you don't see it. And yet like, there's certain groups that are so ignored or so, you know, um, put down over and over again. Um, right. What surprised you the most? You said what you didn't like about them, which is the stuff that I think, you know, is that I don't judge you for thinking that I thought the same thing. What were some of the most surprising things you discovered getting to actually be with them and spend time mm -hmm. and hear them in their own words? Well, I think, you know, they have something a lot of the world is missing, a lot of the Western world, which is that deep connectivity. And so I think there is a longing in Western society for those those deep bonds and it's it seems like they're not having a problem in that community which i i admire i think it's very cool i i also admire the fact that they're they're disciplined look to be that to have such strict rules that takes discipline and everyone's not going to follow them and they're all sorts of rebels i'm sure but the fact that you know they're basically in the heart of capitalism new york city and holding on to you know, staying away from technology to some degree, depending on the person, obviously. And Sabbath or Shabbat, I think that's a beautiful thing. I love that. I mean, that's something everyone could learn from, just stepping away from it all. Um, and you know what? There's an authenticity that I really, I really like. Nobody's putting on a show. They are who they are. That's how I felt, at least. The people I ran into, like, you're not gonna get a smile unless it's meant. And coming from Eastern Europe, that's sort of how do you, Ukraine is too. It's like, okay, if someone smiles at you, they mean it. And uh, that's an interesting really point. I just want to interrupt for a second there. I, I think culturally they are retaining a lot of that Eastern Europe um, mentality. Yeah. And I think yeah. for Americans, like, you know, in terms, in terms of being real versus fake, like I remember, um, I don't even know if the Disney store exists anymore, but years ago I went into the mall and they were like, welcome. And like, you know, they yeah. called me their guest and I'm like, if I'm your guest, then why are you charging me money? Like what, what's this whole like fake right. thing you're doing here where, you know, you give me this fake welcome because you've been told you have to. Um, at the same time, um, the truth is that when I see Hasidic men on the street, and again, I'm a kosher eating Sabbath observing wig wearing woman. Okay. I'm sometimes yeah. like, why you look so serious now, but that's probably oh, a holdover yeah. from, and that's by the way, for you to even consider them. I never, when I was growing up as a non-observant Jew, um, I never could have imagined that, you know, I could have been Orthodox myself enough 
fully like culturally understood another Orthodox group because, you know, we really actually do live in pretty separate worlds. I've had a chance to meet them, okay. but like there is, I know from the outside looking in, um, there seems like so much similarity, but um, you know, we really do live in separate worlds and we have yeah. to make the effort to build bridges and get to know each other. And I actually think there's a, a problem that sometimes modern Orthodox, centrist Orthodox, ultra Orthodox, we don't all know each other and give each other the mm -hmm. fair chance. We actually also judge each other by the stereotypes or the worst that we've oh, heard yeah. about them. Um, but I think that that's a really interesting point that you bring up that sort of that more gruff or serious look walking down the street. Um, I would also add that they've been the target of a lot of attacks um, right. really forever. So that's sort of like fear of the outside. The problem is that yeah. like when you're getting shot down or beaten up or bricks thrown at you, um, it kind of yeah. also makes it hard for <laughs> to feel so friendly to, to the outside world. Yeah, and so everyone has their own history and I get it. I'm, I don't get it as in I experience it, but I get it as I can understand it, you know? the reason the Hasidic religion, like why they're here and, and, and the, the, the way the neighborhoods have formed and, and, and stayed very close together is also a survival mechanism. Some of it's probably very real. Some of it's probably, yes. some of it's probably very subjective in people's minds. Like maybe they're, the threat isn't as big or it is bigger. I don't know. I'm, I'm not living there, but um, I would say I having worked with the top no, I, I think that also the memory of Europe, of shtetl life, is a lot, right. of, much of a shorter memory because um, my grandfather actually came from Ukraine. He was not Hasidic, he was Orthodox. Okay. And when he was okay. 12 years old, um, some local um, anti-Semites lined up his family to see how many Jews a bullet could go through. Um, and just wow, in the nick wow. of time, Cossacks came riding through and wow. disrupted their imp impromptu pogrom. But for the rest of my life, my grandfather thought that really all non-Jews would like to line him and his family up and kill them the next time they get a chance. So that's mm -hmm. a really scarring moment when you're like yeah. a kid to have that. Yeah. And so the thing is that my mother was raised in America around non-Jews and, uh -huh. you know, but she was more in a Jewish neighborhood than we were, even from my sisters and me, our best friends were non-Jewish. So whatever okay. memories my grandfather had, they didn't carry over to future generations because we had integrated and assimilated into American society and met wonderful non-Jewish people who we saw very much did not want to murder us. But the thing is that if you've been told stories of shtetl life where, you know, mm -hmm. Jews were rounded up and horrible things happened, and then you never got the chance to meet anyone from the outside world, you just sort of like, that's all you know about reality. And that's sort of the memory that you retain. Yes, I agree. So it's very, it's very conscious in the community. I mean, we all carry our past to some degree, right? Like my, my ancestry came from Europe. You know, nobody moves because things are awesome, right? You move Correct. because, unless you're a little bit weird like me, I actually moved to Ukraine, <laughs> things were good, but I could work from abroad and that's a whole nother story. But yeah, nobody moves because, uh, you know, it's amazing. So people that move from Europe and especially the Jews and the Hasidic Jews came because the circumstances were terrible. And so there's that, I'll make it very quick, but there's that, that study with the rats, right? And so the rat pup, the rat goes to the cherry scented smell and, and the, the experiment is once it goes for it, it gets zapped and it does it about 10 times and then it doesn't go again. Well, the rat pups and the rat grand pups are adverse to the cherry scent, mm. right? And it's just through, you know, so all this stuff is transgenerational. It takes, it takes time, right? I think it takes time to work out. Like there's something in our subconscious maybe and it's survival. Like we're all trying to survive and, that was very clear what happened there. And so, yeah, when it wasn't really that long ago, like I totally understand it now. Yeah. I get it. 
like I get it. And I don't, and I, I respect people. I mean, look, we all got to be kind to each other. And I think there is that rift between American society of, oh, hey, how are you doing? It's very open society. And when the Hasidics mm -hmm. aren't like that, I think your average American who knows nothing about them will say, oh, that's rude. They're being yeah. rude. They're being snobby, whatever it might mm -hmm. be. But I get it. I, it makes sense to me. There's I, also, I, I just think like it. different expectations in the Hasidic community about, there's like certain American nice about like holding on the door or, and here's one right. thing that I learned that I found fascinating. There, um, the world used to not be disposable in up until the 1950s, just saved everything. And then everything, you know, had a wrapper. Yeah. And this was what a group working with the Haredi population in Israel told me. Um, there was a lot of media messaging done in the 1950s to teach people to throw your garbage mm. in the receptacle. Um, and this never got to the oh, insular Jewish communities. And so what we consider to be totally normal to throw away a wrapper or you know garbage like that, um, it's not part of their sort of known cultural thing, which seems so strange. And so right. this organization in Israel is working with the Haredi population to teach them this is actually a Jewish value to you know put our mm. stuff away and now that. And so it's certain things that could seem so off-putting, but to understand the framework of where people are coming from and give them mm -hmm. a little bit of grace. Because the Hasidic community, unlike any other Jewish community, is nearly 100% mm -hmm. Holocaust survivors. And this is a, mm -hmm. a fact I only learned recently. Other Jewish okay. populations, you know, secular, modern, Orthodox have varying amounts. For them, the okay. population is nearly 100% survivors and descendants of survivors, and basically, you know, put into a closed system where really that trauma was only interacting with each other. So that's like some right. really intense stuff. Besides just like the, the trauma passing on through the genes, just sort of the rate and the, you know, the, um, the intensity of it. Um, I want to sort of talk about mainstream media. Why mm -hmm. do you think they get it wrong? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like this kinship with you, um, and look, I've only stayed within my own group. I know I applaud you for yeah. going out and looking to other people because ultimately I think this is sort of this shared message, one of those truths again, that um, we're all different than sort of the stereotypes that people right. you know, sort of uh, believe that we are. But why do you think mainstream media just continues to get it wrong? Uh, I, I just don't think they care about, like, we, we look at media as, okay, they're going to try to make society better and inform us, but it's, it's the opposite, actually. They, they're driven by ad revenue and they're driven by things that get our attention and they actually don't use morality in any of their reporting. It's sad. Mm -hmm. And this is honestly why I do what I do, just to give humans a voice, people a voice, because so I, I got so annoyed by this. I, I feel the same way. And um, so this is my question. I'm curious what you think about this. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, your reach is in the, you know, hundreds of thousands in video and millions like total. And then, you know, obviously in larger corporations, they, they have a potentially a much larger reach. Part of me feels like to do the same boring story of the miserable, you know, ex-Hasidic woman um, like, haven't we heard that already? Like, haven't we seen that? Isn't that just a tire trope? Whereas, I feel like the content that you put out is so surprising to people. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and when we think right. about the ad revenue and getting the eyeballs, could content like yours um, have a place there? If is maybe part of it about education? Because I, I, you've gotten a great amount of interest from from the content you put out. Right. I think there's also an arrogance in it too. Like, uh, mm -hmm. here's the narrative we want to put on you, and there's almost like a better than mentality. And so oh. the woman, the the woman's story is the the classic one in yeah. Hasidim, right? The the women are suppressed 
completely and living a terrible life. So why would you give anything positive on that community if that's your, the only narrative you ever use? So maybe it's that. Yeah. Um, and that's not how I feel. I found, I'm sure some women are very much suppressed and some have written yeah. out to, written to me saying they are and yeah. some aren't and it works for some people and it doesn't work for others. I totally right. get this. Uh, I'm not a journalist. My goal is not to like get to the very bottom of the story. My, my goal is just to let people speak and I don't have to agree with everything that people say but I can let them speak. And, and then the viewer can make their decision of, of if they agree or not or whatever. And I think that's, that's my purpose. By the media, way, I media think... doesn't care. Media, media, it pisses me off. Honestly, I, I get so, because they have a responsibility, even though I get it, the business model is about ad revenue. Yeah. They do have a responsibility for our collective psyche and they're messing with it hardcore. History will judge these people very poorly. Now, there are a few mainstream media journalists that are good, but the vast majority of what the industry is, is gross. Garbage. Yeah. It's garbage. No, it's garbage. I, and, and people don't, people, a lot of people don't understand this either. A lot of people don't understand that. And a lot, what a lot of people also don't understand, I've tried to explain to members of the Orthodox community that even take a show like Shtisel, which is, you know, also uh -huh. super popular on Netflix. And like the big surprise of Shtisel is that ultra Orthodox Jews are actually human. Like, this is why people are going right. wild for the, Oh, they have feelings. Oh, they smile. Like, I'm yeah. sure this is the first time I saw a modern Orthodox guy who was wearing a black hat on Shabbos smile. I nearly fell off my chair and I was like, the Rebbe lets you smile. Like, and I look back yeah. to now and it seems so insane, but I literally knew so little. But people, so even though Shtisel does humanize the, you know, Haredi world, it also is a soap opera. So it's showing yeah. the most extreme. Uh, situations like 15 of them at a time and it's also mm -hmm. depicting literally the second most extreme um Haredi neighborhood in the world orthodox neighborhood in the world and when I've tried okay. to explain to other orthodox Jews that that ends up sort of speaking to all of us that we will even though we're not living lives that are nearly as isolated or nearly as stringent or extreme um mm -hmm. ultimately people will see that way of life and think that and I have friends I have friends that are Jewish and have seen my journey from, you know, a non-observant Jew to a modern Orthodox, centrist Orthodox Jew. Mm -hmm. um, and they thought that my life was schtisel because they still couldn't really tell the difference. And I think the fact, as you're saying, that people really trust what they see in the media. I've also had journalists yeah. ask me questions and I've explained to them how things actually are, you know, according to my mm -hmm. own perception of the Orthodox world. And then they'll yep. twist my words to actually yep. fit what they want to say as opposed to... I would say, I would argue mm -hmm. that you're letting people just talk as they are is actually so much more, I don't know, journalism than the reporter or the journalist that inserts right. their own bias or opinion into it. Because at least right. just letting the person be as they are, the viewer gets to decide. Um, there was a story um, in uh, NBC where mm -hmm. they had a, they first spoke to a bunch of people that had left the Hasidic world from super extreme situations mm -hmm. where literally even the word gymnasium was removed from their textbooks. I mean, this extreme, they brought a mm -hmm. Lubavitch rabbi to speak about his life and they literally cut and paste the words he said to make him say things that he had not said. He fortunately yeah. brought along a tape recorder and he recorded his words, um, but you know, they, they specifically wanted their agenda to come out. So yeah. um, it, it's pretty vile. Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, can you share this? What can you do? Five minutes left to go. 
Sorry, yeah, sure. Uh, I think I think um, we we can uh, we can help to amplify your reach, and we can thank you um, for for your service because um, I think the more you know people like you that go out there and look for mm -hmm. you know a more authentic story and tell it and spread it, um, at least gives people a chance. We just have a few minutes yeah. left now, but can you share sure. with us um, some people, some non-Orthodox Jews or non-Jews, some of the nicest feedback that you've gotten from uh, from sharing these videos? Oh yeah, like a lot of people written in the comments, like I didn't know about Hasidim, thank you for bringing us into that world. I really respect their lifestyle or, or many, many positive. And a lot of comments from a Muslim audience saying mm -hmm. we have very similar values and traditions, which is true. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable how closely they're aligned. And so Judaism and Islam, you know, Christianity is in the middle, right? Is in chronological order, but I right. see a lot of more parallels between Judaism and Islam. Well, look, we're cousins. Which is crazy. We, we share. Yeah, yeah. We, it's two brothers um, that uh, that sort of split off. And yes, we've also gotten comments like that. And I would say that's another population that has been misunderstood. And there's all oh, different yeah. groups. And um, and we've heard from people on our channels also very heartwarming um, comments from people. And really, it's it's I think that point of shared humanity and seeing yeah. each other past the labels and past the biases and. Like you said, I don't think the point actually is that we have to ultimately agree with everyone or you know make the same choices of course, in yeah. how they live, but at least yeah. to you know sort of see them. You know, Oprah did a segment in the Hasidic population, mm -hmm. and you have an understanding now of how Satmar and Chabad are different, um, and I appreciate yeah. that. She went and found a Chabad family where the kids had never heard of Mickey Mouse. You couldn't find, okay. I don't know of such a family that exists because Chabad is a very plugged in and sort of, you know, connected to community. But she right. somehow found sort of like, and I think because there is this desire in mainstream media to sort of show the weirdest, like we're going to take yeah. you into this really yeah, far yeah. off world. Come with our cameras. We got access to the Hasidim and, you know, yeah. we'll take you where, and as opposed to, um, I think you, you treat your subject just like human beings um, and then their humanity yeah. is able to shine. I try. It's not as exciting. Maybe, maybe that stuff, that stuff's more exciting, you know, bullets and blood and drama is always way more exciting. But, I, I think actually surprising people and finding that common bond um, is really, I think that that's the stuff, that's the stuff that fills my heart up. That's the stuff that like makes me feel that sort of, bigger connection that we're all one right. and that we're all we're all sharing this planet together um so it's really um I, i'm you know and i saw your other story online that you wanted to read about the soviet union uh, when you were eight because it was the group you weren't supposed to hear about and you became fascinated right. with the you know sort of the other um and so it really seems like you have this lifelong mission to tell the stories that don't get told so um I don't know like where you are in your own spiritual journey, but um, I hope that uh, I believe in God. I hope that God will give you, you know, many more years of, uh, of health and uh, the you. ability to, yeah, to continue to share these stories. And um, I can just tell you the community is so, so grateful for you giving cool. us the chance to speak. And um, when you're back in New York can City, we would totally love to uh, take you to our world. Thank Can I have time for one more thing to say? About sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What I really enjoyed there was just the lack of, I mean, I'm an outsider. I don't know what's really going on, but the lack of anxiety on the streets. Mm -hmm. I live in San Francisco. Everyone's yeah. so scared of each other. No one's looking at each other. It's, it's terrible right now. And I it just felt like I had to go to the heart of the Hasidic world to feel free again. I mean, what, what's going on? That's the opposite <laughs> of what we would think, right? 
But I'm like, ah, there's the people's pressure is off. Most of them have had COVID. Most right. of them have been through the journey. Here, yeah. everyone's overly paranoid. Right. Like right. running across the street, everyone's got a mask on. It's just, uh, it, it was like refreshing to be there. All right. Well, I'm glad that there's a positive story to come out of that too. <laughs> yeah. It also made a lot of negative headlines. Yeah. Um, thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Thank you for your uh, your truth seeking and your your great storytelling. And you should have continued success. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate for for having me on. Yeah. Okay. All the best. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Mm-hmm.